0: Hey, what's up? Welcome to Sons of Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler Rojack here with Luke Smith, and we've got two great guests here with us today. Um, In our last episode, Luke and I announced that we had officially launched our website, and as part of that, we would be bringing on two writers to the team who will be doing work with us going forward. So I'm pumped to introduce Mike McDaniel, Ashton Pollard here in a second. Um, Notre Dame is set to open spring practice on this Saturday, March 27th, I think. We're recording this on Tuesday, and as of now, Notre Dame hasn't officially announced spring practice dates yet, which is a little odd, and maybe by the time this is released, the dates will be set. But anyway, we're going to talk all about spring ball, and then at the end, we're each going to pick our top five favorite Notre Dame football players of our lifetimes, which actually turned out to be a pretty difficult task narrowing that list down. But first, Mike, Ashton, what's up, guys? How are you guys doing?
1: How's going? Good to be with y'all.
2: Hi, I'm excited. Thank you for having us.
0: So, I guess we'll start off. Could you guys describe what your journalism background has been? How long have you guys been doing this? and we'll start with you, Ashton.
2: Cool. yeah, um, so, yeah, hi, I'm Ashton. Um so my journalism background actually just started uh, earlier this fall. I am a I know that uh, Tyler and Luke kind of introduced us and gave a little bio on a podcast a few weeks ago. But um, yeah, I graduated from college in, in 2018 and actually moved to DC and thought I was going to work in politics forever. So had no, not no interest in journalism, I would say, but um, just didn't really think that, that that was the route I wanted to go. Um, last spring, decided that I did not want to be in politics forever. So um, applied to grad school. I had a little bit of a communications background, uh, working in like on the press side in the government, as so like working with a lot of journalists, but never like in the in journalism, I guess. Um, and so yeah, apply, apply to, apply to journalism school, um, specifically sports media, sports media concentration at Northwestern, because I was a college athlete and then just a big football and basketball fan. Um, so that, this is kind of the marriage now at Northwestern at journalism school of, um, my communications background and my interest in sports. But yeah, um, currently in my, about to start my third quarter of J school, starting to write a little bit more. We kind of did a lot of um, like non-sports related, just like the journalism 101 stuff, the first couple of quarters, but getting more into the sports world now. And that is kind of how I got here and why. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So my journalism background is a little bit different. So I actually went to college at Virginia Tech uh, in the College of Business. So I was accounting and finance background. I actually didn't realize I wanted to do the whole sports writing thing until I was about halfway through my junior year at Tech. So I'd say like 2014. Um, I, I actually started writing for a couple of like just random independent sports websites. And then I wrote for SB Nation for the Virginia Tech blog for a little bit. Uh, wrote for an independently run ACC site called Inside the ACC for a while. Um, and then just started writing about Virginia Tech more. I mean, I was going... I was going there for school. I was obviously following Notre Dame still because I've always been a lifelong Notre Dame fan. Uh, but I was so into what was going on at Virginia Tech that that's kind of the route I followed. Um, I wrote most recently for um, Sports Illustrated for their AllHokies.com website uh, right after they were bought out by Maven. Uh, was cut from that because of COVID about five or six months ago, like late, like I guess early fall, right before football season last year. And I've been writing for the Sons of Saturday Virginia Tech site. I've been contributing for National, and now I'm happy to join you guys. So it's been a little bit of an unconventional journalism path for me as well. Um, i work accounting and finance during the day, and then, you know, by night I'm I'm doing the whole writing and reporting thing. So, I, I mean, I enjoy it. Definitely not what I went to school for, but definitely probably my top hobby, so.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you touched on it a little bit there, Mike, but how did each of you guys become Notre Dame fans? Just to give our listeners a little bit of background about how uh, you, you fell into this sickness, I'll call it, that that we all suffer from.
1: Yeah, for me, um, so my grandfather was a huge Notre Dame fan. Um, it's it's pretty funny. If you never go to school there, it, the old joke is like, if you're Irish Catholic or you're from like the Northeast, It's either Notre Dame or Boston College. And, you know, my mom's side of the family is from the Boston, Massachusetts area. My grandfather was a huge Notre Dame fan growing up, Um, never went to school there. Nobody in my family went to school there, but everybody was a Notre Dame fan. So that's kind of how I was raised. And then I applied to ND, didn't get in, ended up at Virginia Tech, but I've always followed Notre Dame and Notre Dame football for sure is just kind of my lifelong sports passion. Um, just growing up, every Saturday, it was all about Notre Dame football. And it's still my first love, even though I ended up at Virginia Tech. It's just two totally different levels of football. <laughs> the level of football Virginia Tech plays versus the level of football Notre Dame plays. So I get disappointed with Virginia Tech during the day. I just flip over to NBC and watch Notre Dame play. And for the most part, especially like the last few years, it's been a lot better. I think growing up, um, watching Notre Dame struggle through Periods of the Weiss years and Willingham and the back half of the Bob Davy era when I was really young, it's really refreshing that Brian Kelly has now been there for a decade and the team's been a lot better. So even while I'm disappointed by Notre Dame, even now, it's just totally different. It's it's just there's levels to it, and I've experienced Notre Dame football when it's been real bad, and it's just a totally different level now. Um, you know Notre Dame being in a playoff conversation in a BCS championship conversation, actually in the game getting blown out by Alabama in 2012. Like you couldn't have even imagined that when, you know, ND is being coached by Bob Davey, Ty Willingham, parts of the Charlie Weiss era. I mean, this is just totally different level of Notre Dame football now, which is refreshing.
0: I'll put you on the spot right away. If Virginia Tech plays Notre Dame, who are you rooting for?
1: (laughs) So I, uh, I root, I root for Virginia Tech.
0: Okay. I was at the
1: game and I was at the game in 2016 in South Bend. Um, and obviously it was a a tough year for Notre Dame. They still almost beat Virginia tech. It took that, that crazy second half comeback and basically they've been on two different trajectories ever since. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to root against your alma mater, but any other time I'm, I'm all about Notre Dame. Fair enough.
2: So my dad went to Notre Dame. He's class of 1988. Um, I'm, I'm from Virginia. So there was, Kind of like a joke in my family, I actually texted my dad this uh, when they played UNC in basketball, and UNC went on that 37-2 run of, like, Dad, why'd you go to Notre Dame? Because he was going to go to UVA, and then as, like, went, the day he graduated high school, got into Notre Dame off the wait list and made the decision to go, and that, like, both made and ruined my life, Um but... <laughs> I have I have other family members that went there. So I have a great uncle that went there. My cousin's currently on the hockey team there actually. Um so yeah, kind of similar to Mike, just uh Saturdays in the fall. Uh always, always Notre Dame. I was born in '95, so I don't really remember the. Davey years. I remember a little bit of the Ty Wellingham years. Um, But I mean, I was like five, six, seven. So you only kind of you only kind of know so much. Um, And then really started to get any really started to get into it with uh, the Charlie Weiss era with Brady Quinn, which I won't get into later when we talk about our favorite players. Um, But yeah, and then um, once I, w- I would say we went to a couple games when I'm the oldest of five. So it was kind of difficult for my parents to take five kids and themselves from Virginia to South Bend every year. So went to a couple games when I was like under the age of like 14 ish, but really started going to more games. Um, once I was able to travel, travel on my own, I had a friend that went to law school there, um, would go out there. I also like Mike, I was at that, uh, 2016 Virginia Tech game because my whole family basically went to Virginia Tech. So, um, ended up at a lot more games recently. Um, yeah. And it's just, again, like you were taught Saturday in the fall, sit on the couch, watch Notre Dame football. And, uh, I'm, I, it caught on and I just watch it religiously now ever since then. So, yeah.
0: Well, it sounds like we're all born into it. None of us really had a choice in all this. <laughs>
2: oh no. I wish I had a choice. I, I had no choice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right. We can turn our attention now to this year's team. Like I said, at the top spring ball starts on Saturday. Um, And then it looks like we'll have a spring game on May 1st. That might be the only time that fans or even the media might be able to actually see the team. Because as of now, um, it's not really known whether or not the media will be able to attend practice. But they probably won't, considering they weren't able to all the 2020 season. And that appears to be the protocols going forward. So, Mike, we'll go back to you. What storyline do you think you'll be following the most um, throughout spring and really into the summer as summer workouts go on, but leading up into camp?
1: quarterback, like who's going to replace Ian book. Um, I wrote a story on the sons of Saturday and site about that. And like, how is Jack Cohn going to adjust to being a starter in the Tommy Reese offense? Right. I mean, that's the, that's the big question. He's got the experience. He's played big time football in the big 10. He's obviously coming from a school in Wisconsin. That's a very good, has a very good football program. And he's going to be used to playing under pressure. And look, I mean, the he's essentially a bridge quarterback to Tyler Buckner. I think we all know that like that's going, that's the future of the position at Notre Dame, but what kind of impact is Jack Cohn going to make as a transfer? And what's that going to look like in the Tommy Reese system? Like that's a big question for me. And then quarterback, like Tyler, you, you kind of alluded to this as we were prepping for this, but boundary corner is wide open. The one guy I have my eye on is Philip Riley. He sticks out to me because he nearly committed to Virginia tech. He obviously committed to ND committed to USC, then back to ND kind of been jumping all over the place. I think fans are really interested to see if he's one of these guys and kind of break into the fold early and play early. And he's, you know, a really highly touted kid out of Florida, a really talented player a kid who I think has a really high ceiling. And I think he has an opportunity to play early at Notre Dame. And we know that Brian Kelly isn't shy about throwing guys into the mix early on. And I think he can be kind of the next in that mold on the defensive side of the ball. It'll be interesting to see. All
2: right, Ash what about you? So I'm super interested in the tight end room, Um, not because I'm concerned, (laughs) um, but just because I'm excited to see who's going to replace both Tremble and Brock Wright. Uh, If you're listening to this podcast, you're well aware that Tommy Tremble is one of the like best blockers that has ever been at, well, I guess ever is a long time, but that I've ever seen at Notre Dame. Um, And then Brock Wright was obviously like third string, but like, because Notre Dame's tight end room is always so deep. He would have, he would have started on a ton of different rosters across the country. Is um, getting interest from the NFL. will probably have an opportunity to play in the NFL, which is just crazy that your third string tight end is getting that kind of attention. Um, with both of them gone, they weren't huge contributors um, like touchdown and re- reception wise. Uh, they're, Notre Dame's only replacing 22 receptions out of the two of them from last year. Um, but I am excited to see uh, who's going to step into the uh, tight end role behind Michael Mayer, we've seen a lot of um, three, four tight end looks with with Tommy Reese. Um, so who's going to compliment who's going to compliment mayor? So the candidates, uh, George Takis, who I can never say his name. I have to like really think about it before I say it. I always mispronounce it. So I think that was right. Um, but yeah, he's a couple years of eligibility left. He's six foot six, which is not uncommon for a Notre Dame tight end at all. I think that he could have a really good year this year. He's only had one touchdown catch in his career, but he has really good hands. He's really athletic. um, And I think that some of the pressure from these younger guys in the tight end room um, will, will uh, force is a strong word, but we'll, we'll hopefully get him to step up. Um, Behind Mayers, uh, Kevin Bowman, who is a sophomore who was really, really well, well tied out of high school, but was overshadowed by the freak that is Michael Mayer. Um, He could step in as kind of a blocker, kind of like Tremble. Kane Barong, who's the early enrollee, um, who was the number nine tight end uh, in the country. That's according to 24-7. He heavily looked at. Georgia, Clemson, um, I believe Bam was on that list too. So everybody wanted him. He chose Notre Dame um, out of Georgia too, which kind of continues that because uh, t- Tommy trembles from Georgia too, like kind of continuing to pull head ends out of that area. So we'll, I'll, I'll be interested to see what he does. And then Mitchell Evans, who is not as highly touted, but is six foot seven, which is absurd. Um, so yeah, looking forward to seeing kind of who steps up in the tight end two, tight end three uh, roles behind Michael Mayer.
0: Luke, I have a feeling I know where you're going to go with this.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, we, we, we talked about it kind of at length. Um, our receivers last year were, were not good, to, to put it kindly. Um, and this year, I think what we've always been dependent on is just obviously the emergence of, of what will now be seniors in, in Braden Lindsay and Brayden Lindsey and Kevin Austin and, like, Basically, for four years now, those guys have been touted as game breakers. And, you know, you also have Avery Davis coming back, and he did have his moments last year, none bigger than that bomb against Clemson in the first Clemson game on the last drive there. Um, but only 44 catches from last year return at the receiver position, and, and Davis had 24 of those. You know, and due to injuries and, and off the field issues, we've really been limited to a cameo appearance from Austin in that Navy game in 2018. That's really the only time I ever remember him doing anything in a game. And then you know, I think Lindsay had a pretty decent stretch for about six games in 2019. But then this year was just really banged up. Wasn't really sure what was going on there at all times, so but we didn't really see much of him at all. And they are going to have to be something for this offense to be more balanced and, and vertical than last year. Um, you know, I've said this before, but the way we talk about Austin as a game-breaker and with how limited we've seen him, it's almost kind of like the Kevin White thing for the Bears, like where they just used to make the joke that he was a rookie every year because, like, he never played. And now it's like, oh, we're just waiting on Kevin Austin to have his moment, and he's been there for four years. So, But if he does... They'll be in a really good spot, and, and obviously, the big question is um, if Jordan Johnson, the sophomore, what, what he can bring to the table, but I'm sure we'll talk about that enough and everybody else will before the season kicks off for me to really get into it here, but I, I'm really eager to see what that senior group of, of receivers is able to, to manage this year and and, and kind of how that is able to, to, to lead the passing game, um, and obviously, you do have a couple of, of Guys also are seniors who, who have played a decent amount in Lawrence Keys and Joe's, Joe Wilkins. Lawrence Keys never really recovered from a battle with COVID and, and concussions last year. He has shown some flashes in the past, and and Wilkins, I mean, I don't really know what you're going to get from him, but if you can get something from that group of guys, then I'll feel a lot more comfortable in it. And I think if you see a little bit of that
0: this spring, then I'll be confident they can do it this fall. Maybe one of you could, can chime in here. What is uh, Austin's availability going to be like during spring? that's a great question i have not seen that at all
2: <laughs> i think i've seen i've seen limited but obviously limited is very vague so i don't really know either. <laughs> but yeah limited seems to be the buzzword with
0: usual him. yeah I feel, usual. I feel like he's been As limited always. his entire career yeah, <laughs> yeah
2: exactly so we won't see him is probably what limited means so, so
0: more of the same yeah That's unfortunate. I I did see this video, I think the Notre Dame official YouTube account posted it today, and it was about Matt Bayless, and it's actually pretty hilarious if you watch it, or mainly just listen to it, because he sounds like he had just smoked two full packs of cigarettes and maybe three. But anyway, they show a quick quick glimpse of uh, Kevin Austin doing deadlifts. Maybe that's somewhat encouraging, but uh, for the storyline I'll be watching the most during the spring, it's going to be on the other side of the ball. Mike, you already alluded to it a little bit. Um, but instead of just the boundary corner, I'll, I'll just lump together the whole defensive backfield. Um, it's kind of a situation of Kyle Hamilton and then Clarence Lewis, CPA, and then who knows after that. In In addition to the lack of experience among the rest of the group, we have a brand new safeties coach and Chris O'Leary. Hang on, actually, we didn't talk about this when he got hired. Can I tell my Chris
3: O'Leary story here? Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) And I'm hoping this will translate to his his coaching style, but essentially when when he was a GA, I guess, two years ago, (laughs) he was on a bookstore team with Tommy Reese, walk-on Jimmy Thompson, who's now an analyst at LSU, and a couple other former football players, and The way that that tournament works is once you get to the round of 16, like everybody's reseeded and they made it to this round of 16 and, and I was seeding the tournament that year. I seeded them, I think like 15th or something, maybe even 16th. He wasn't happy with it um, and, and walked up to me before their game and, and let me know about it. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, you're, you're a coach to the football team. Why do you really care? But where I'm going with this is if he was that passionate about bookstore basketball, then, then I'm sure he has a lot of passion for coaching these defensive backs. So, so hopefully that <laughs> translates well because he was a very passionate guy a couple of years ago. Did it even matter? How did they finish in the tournament? they got waxed. (laughs) It didn't matter. (laughs) So you appropriately
0: seeded him. Yeah, yeah. He was pissed they had to play the two-seed that early or whatever it was, but, I mean, it was accurate. Well, damn. Sounds like you can't really have a problem. But, yeah, I mean, he's got one hell of a situation now where he has, well, first-team All-American, so that helps a little bit. And then at the other safety position, who really knows, um, Houston Griffith was the highest-rated recruit in the 2018 class. And so far... The best thing he's done, maybe the most notable thing he's done, was just get blocked 50 yards downfield by this Michigan offensive lineman in that just hellacious downpour of a game, and he just chucked him. Yeah, that was really bad. That went viral for all the wrong Kinda reasons. Forgotten about that <laughs> for good reason. Oh, so bad. <laughs> yes, sorry to bring it up. Um, I don't. I, this might be a little bit bold, or maybe it'll just bring back bad memories. I'm, I'm thinking Houston Griffith is entering Gary Gray territory when it comes to Notre Dame letdowns, defensive back. But we'll see. I mean, he almost transferred. He decided to come back. Maybe Marcus Freeman will have a little bit more um, in store for him. And then, yeah, at the boundary corner, Clarence Lewis, CPA, just took over the field corner position uh, from Tariq Bracy. But I think Bracy's missteps also had a lot to do with that, too. He looked somewhat of a shell of himself. I don't even think that's... Um, a stretch to say, at least compared to the player we saw in 2019, who against Georgia was making huge plays and critical moments of the game. So hopefully Tariq Bracey can re- return to form, but it doesn't seem like he's really an option at boundary corner. It seems like he's going to be the field corner, but probably we'll get some time at nickel. And then at, outside of that, you've got Cam Hart. Um, he's a converted wide receiver. That's not ideal. He played a little bit last year in garbage time. And then, I guess the big star will be Philip Riley, Mike's guy, and Ryan Barnes. He's a three-star. Both of them are early enrollees. They'll both have a chance. And, hey, Brian Kelly, if he's not going to play freshman receivers, he will play freshman cornerbacks. We saw that in Kavari Russell, and we saw that again with Clarence Lewis. So that's about – like those are the things that I'm going to be really, really looking at, and um, hopefully we'll be able to actually get some, I guess – feedback, or at least we'll get some sort of clue about what's going to happen. But I guess right now we can start with this. Um, We talked a little bit about the storylines, but especially now with the limited access, what do you think is going to be the biggest overreaction from spring practice? Ashton, we'll start with you.
2: Sure. So, um, and you guys have kind of touched on this a little bit. I think that there's going to be a huge to-do about the lack of leadership from an upperclassman. Um, Obviously, Kyron Williams kind of stood out last year, even as a redshirt freshman, as being just absolutely electric and so much fun to watch and a clear leader on the sidelines. Um, But I think that with so many people uh, gone off the offense, including obviously what I would consider kind of the heart of the offense in Ian Book, um, I'm interested to see how everyone freaks out that there's no – See, uh, junior senior leadership. Um, I Kyron I guess, is technically a junior, but redshirt sophomore, or whatever. Um, so yeah, we talked about like Jack Cohn. Um, they lost the whole line except Jarrett Patterson. So is Jarrett Patterson gonna, uh, become, uh, the new leader on the line? Obviously, Robert Hansey, uh, who was, a, I believe, a two time captain, correct me if I'm wrong. I know he was captain last year. Um, he was kind of the heart and soul of that O line. Is Patterson gonna step up with a bunch of young guys around him? And then as Luke talked about, um, just the wide receivers and Lindsey Austin um, Avery Davis, um, who, who is going to be the leadership in that room, even if hopefully, uh, like Jordan Johnson steps in, um, and is, is a big playmaker, but are we going to have somebody as an upperclassman? Um, I could see us coming out of practice and everyone's still being focused on Kyron Williams and no one else. And then just all summer we need stuff to do. So we'll just talk about how there's no leadership on that side of the ball. Uh, I think that's a very likely possibility, but I don't know what y'all think.
0: I totally agree with the offensive line point, especially if the spring game is all we're going to be getting. Quarterbacks get sacked a lot easier in that game because they're wearing the red jerseys and they can't get fully you know, brought down to the ground. So I can already imagine in the spring game, the offensive line gives up a ton of sacks and then people freak out all summer because now O-line you is now weak at the O-line position. I mean, yeah, like they're going to be weak. There's five new uh, faces at every position because Jarrett Patterson, the one returning starter, He's not going to be able to participate at all during the spring while he deals with a Liz Frank injury that he suffered last year against Boston College. So it's five brand-new faces. But the one good thing is Notre Dame has recruited super well at that position. Um, Since 2018, Notre Dame has signed 13 offensive linemen, which has included one five-star and nine four-stars. So, like, there's plenty of talent there, but there's going to be a lot of moving pieces, um, you know, Jeff Quinn what used to be under a ton of fire last year, kind of put some of that to bed. But I can easily see or at least imagine um, if there's a slow start in the offensive line, people will freak out. And, you know, I think it's just going to take some time. It's honestly going to probably last into the season and during the season. But I-, I can already picture some just scorching takes on Twitter all because of the offensive line. That
3: actually reminds me, your point about... Um... Your point about quarterbacks getting sacked more easily in this game, what quarterback was it that took like 17 sacks in the spring game? Was it Kaiser or Wimbush? It was one of those two. Well, Phil Dracovic. Oh, <laughs> actually, it might have been him. I think yeah, it was Phil. Yeah. It was some guy I didn't like. I know that. Um, but...
2: <laughs> I feel like I feel like that was a thing with Wimbush, too, if I remember correctly.
3: Yeah, that, that would make sense. That
2: sounds right.
3: Yeah. But that's me. What about you, Luke? Um, I mean, I guess kind of leading into that, I think that the glaring thing that will probably come out, the overreaction is that just all the quarterbacks on our roster suck. Um, I mean we've already we've already heard from a source, and I'll coach this as like it was like a brother's, cousins, dog type source. <laughs> so I don't really believe the believe the veracity of it, but that Buckner is terrible and Drew Pine's gonna be the starter. So, you know, there's there's that. Um shocking, I guess, a guy who hasn't played football in a year, looked rough in some throwing when he first got to college, but whatever. Um, I, I'm sure it'll take some time for Cone who I'm fairly convinced will be the starter um, to get some chemistry with those receivers. But by the fall, I, I think we'll be awful glad we have him going into Doe Campbell with him. But I'm sure there will be some overreactions related to to the quarterback position.
1: Yeah, let me I was going to say, let me build off that with the quarterback position. I feel like we'll be trying to make Jack Cohn out to something he's not, which ironically is something I've already tried to do on the site. Um, maybe he will be more than, a. Game
0: uh, you're all over the quarterback situation. Mike, just all. Yeah.
1: Over. Um, like maybe I'm already like previewing that a little bit, but I feel like there'll be more articles written. Like the one I wrote, like, let's talk ourselves into a situation where Jack Cohn isn't the game manager that he was in Wisconsin. Like, let's talk him. Let's just talk about him in the light of like, oh, maybe he won't be like freshman and sophomore Ian book. Maybe he'll be more like junior and senior Ian book where he's making plays all over the field and running all around. Like I do maybe, this
2: every day when I wake up, like, literally,
1: yeah, like every day. I'm like,
2: Jack Cohn's like, going to be great. There's nothing wrong with Jack Cone. It's going to be. Yeah. Fun.
1: Yeah. He'll actually be better than we all think he'll be. Right. Like that's, let's let it play out that way. Um. So versus like the, every, every single quarterback sucking, right. This is like the inverse of that. We're like, Jack Cone is actually really good. Like better than you think he's picked up the offense. Great. Right? Like, I think that'll be a general overreaction. It'll be either one way or another Luke. I think we'll have both sides cover there.
0: I. I can already see that coming. And people are just going to be so quick to turn on him because he hasn't really been around. I mean, it's not like Notre Dame fans uh, take a lot of time to turn on a player anyway. But then you add the fact he's just a transfer from Wisconsin. He's, I mean, he seems like a pretty quiet, laid-back dude, and that's good because he's probably going to be dealing with a whole lot of shit talk from a lot of different people. Unnecessarily so, probably. And Book getting drafted in the fourth round won't help that either. Fourth round? Is that what we're
3: seeing? I mean, no, I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious, but I, I, I mean, you know, you, I think, isn't that what Miller said? He could see him as going as high as fourth round. So when that happens, that'll only add to the name. I've heard
2: fourth round. People
0: will forget how much they hated him. Poor guy. What about the other quarterbacks though, Mike? I mean, there are other ones besides Tyler Buckner and um, Jack Cohn.
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe we'll get a Maybe we'll get a glimpse of Drew Pine, right? Like maybe he'll be better than people say. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's the big question is, okay. If not Jack Cohn, then who? Because I refuse to believe that Brian Kelly is going to throw a quarterback into the fire who just got to campus. He won't. Yeah,
0: there. no chance. There's no There's chance. No ch- There's negative chance. Buckner yeah, starts exactly. Game. He like hasn't played football in years. Right. So literally,
1: like, who's it going to be then? Right. And that's that's the that's the question for me. Which is why when I see folks on social media being like, "All right, well, you know, if not Jack Cohn, who's it going to be?" I mean, great question. Who is it going to be? And what's Notre Dame going to do, right? Because they're replacing Ian Book, a multi-year starter at the position who just continued to get better year after year. And now it's like, okay, stopgap to a highly touted kid coming in at quarterback who's a freshman. Like, what's the bridge look like? And if it's actually not going to be Jack Cohn, then why did he transfer to Notre Dame? And that's the question that I think everybody's asking going into spring practice, which is why I think we're all assuming that Jack Cohn is going to be the starter at quarterback this fall.
0: Ashton, you got a point.
2: Yeah. Sorry. I was just going to say, I, I kind of find myself over, like, I think with Tyler Buckner, what scares me is if he's not starting at all this year, 2022 is going to be brutal at Ohio state. It's constant at home at USC at UNC. Like, I've heard just a lot of people like skip over this year, and they're like, "We'll figure it out this year." But like, 2022 is going to be a mess if we don't. If we just throw a then uh, redshirt freshman in, Um, I'm not saying I'm not advocating for necessarily like having him start this year. I just I am already thinking about 2022 and how brutal that Ohio State game is Labor Day weekend, so that's his first start. Like, ha! Welcome to college football. Like, here's uh, the horseshoe. Like, that scares me a little.
1: But if he's if he's I mean if he's as good as he looks on film and everybody says he's going to be, they got to mix him in a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I think there's no better way to do that than to have Jack Cohen be the starter and just get him some reps behind him as a change of pace guy, which I think Buckner could be. Yeah.
3: I'd agree with that. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe a best case scenario is kind of what happened in Clemson in 2018, Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence, Kelly Bryant started the first couple of games of the year. Lawrence was too good to keep off the field. There he was. I'd be okay if that's the same scenario with with Cone and, uh, and and Buckner. And do I expect that? No,
0: but I would love that. I I do expect another quarterback to start a game though, and I just say that because I think last so year is it going to be Deloitte consultant Drew Pine? <laughs> <laughs> we have Clarence Lewis CPA, and Deloitte consultant Drew Pine. Drew Pine's from Connecticut though. Yeah, he's definitely he's already he already has a place in Greenwich. It's like lo- it's locked up in two years, but. No, I was going to say that I think there's only been one season outside of 2020 um, under Brian Kelly where the same starting quarterback started every single game. So if history is any indicator, someone else due to injury or whatever. Did that not happen? Did that not happen in 2019?
3: Um, yeah. In 2018, you're right, because he missed the Florida State game. And Wimbush played a bunch of games.
0: Okay, no, then he did 2019 as well. But you're right.
3: But You're right. There is a, there is a point there.
2: Um, but aside from Ian Book, I think you're right. There is only one other year, and I'm blanking on which one it is. But yeah, we for so long had we were flip flopping the entire time, uh, flipping in the middle of the season, flipping in the game. Like I don't know. It was we were we were spoiled the last couple of years, and now we're back to just the normal Brian Kelly <laughs> switching quarterbacks in and out to figure it out mid game.
0: We were spoiled. I mean, Ian Book was sort of a fan favorite among some of us. Um, but that is actually is a good segue because now we're gonna rank our top five favorite Notre Dame players of all time. All right, no, sorry, top five favorite Notre Dame players in our lifetimes. All right, um, we'll go, Luke. You start start off because you have an interesting number five. Yeah, I'm starting
3: uh, at number five uh, cornerback from the early 2000s, Fontez Duff, uh, number 34. Honestly, could have gone between him. Uh, or, or Shane Walton here, but ended up going with Vontaze Duff. Um, you know, I was at a game in 2003, and uh, he, he threw his gloves to me in the stands, and they're still at my house. So uh, I guess that one ha- has kind of left a mark. And, well, you know
0: you have a story related to Vontaze Duff and gloves as well. Yeah, I loved <laughs> Vontaze Duff like so much more than like I should have because he returned a punt for a touchdown in that season opener in 2002 against, against Maryland. And then after that, I just was so enamored with him and also didn't hurt that. Well, the offense is horrible. And basically our cornerback slash punt returner was like our best offensive threat, which is pretty sad. Um, but, Those were the Willingham ears, but yeah. Anyway, I liked him so much, I asked my dad if we could go to Dick's Sporting Goods and find gloves that looked exactly like his, because I actually wanted to be Vontez Duff. I wasn't just a fan, and um, yeah. So now the fact that I found out today that Luke actually has a pair of Vontez Duff gloves, like my six-year-old self, is just destroyed. Maybe
3: I'll mail you. Maybe I'll mail you one uh, if I can. I know there's somewhere in my room. (laughs) (laughs) I'll wear them around. (laughs) All right. What about number four? Um, it was just too. I couldn't leave him off. I've already dubbed this the year Kyle, and even though I've already had only had two years of him, I have Kyle Hamilton right there. Um, kind of just when you see the way that guy moves on a football field, it's kind of hard not to appreciate that. And I am very excited for what will almost assuredly be his last year. Unfortunately, before he becomes a first round pick, um, but Kyle Hamilton there. Uh, three, Golden Tate. That 2009 year, which was honestly, I think they started out 6-2 and, and and then lost the last four games of the year. The main highlight of that is that he literally could touch the ball and score on every play. I mean, I remember Weiss's last game against Stanford. He had like three or four touchdowns, and they were just fly routes. He's like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> and he'd be, he'd be to the house. He was electric. Um, I mean, everybody remembers when he jumped into the Michigan State band. And so I, I'd be remiss not to include him there two, And I almost had him at one uh, more recently, Jalen Smith. Uh, I mean, I guess him sharing a last name with me always endeared me to him at the start. And he was such a big time recruit that we had to get. And then. Honestly, a really cool aspect, which is kind of a storybook ending to my college career for me, is that when he was in his third year in the NFL, he came back that second semester of my senior year to get his degree. And I actually had a class with him, uh, intro to poetry writing, and there were eight people in this class. So I had a lot of interacting with him when he was a millionaire, um, making a lot of money. And then I walked behind him at graduation. So we have I took a picture with him on graduation, and uh, there, there are a bunch of pictures pictures that the NFL account tweeted out of Jalen Smith walking across the stage and I'm in the background. So, um, always have a little bit of a connection to him. Hopefully it turns around this year for the Cowboys. And, uh, then at the top, I I think I got to go with Tom Sivakowski. Like I, I remember that Tennessee game in 2006 when he had a punt return, interception return, uh, fumble recovery. Like that guy just played with reckless abandon and was so much fun to watch. And like, he was this kid from the Chicago suburbs, like I was um, obviously I didn't have the, quite the athleticism that he did, but he was somebody growing up that you absolutely
0: admired. And, and he was awesome. I was at that Tennessee game too. That was just unbelievable. He almost had three touchdowns yeah. and he played safety and Palmer Junior. All right, Mike, what about you? So, I got to throw in an honorable mention just because we were talking about the Von
1: Duff era and the fact that Notre Dame had no offense. I have an honorable mention for Arnez okay. Battle, former okay. oh, noted okay. quarterback turned a- wide, <laughs> turn wide receiver who had literally nobody to throw to uh, because Carlisle Holiday was playing quarterback at the time. Wow. Um, so, That's yeah, big, Holy shit. big time throwback to Arnez Battle. Uh, but number five for me is Audrey Denson. And the reason why is because. He was the first player I really remember latching onto as a kid. Um, Obviously, Notre Dame's all-time leading rusher, outstanding player, coach at ND, and now coaches at Charleston Southern as a head coach, I believe. Um, Just, I have an affinity to him because he's really the first player I really remember watching growing up. Uh, In that same light, number four for me is Julius Jones. Because basically right after that, we were just rolling through running backs. Notre Dame just had a slew of them there for a while, and Julius Jones was – Uh, In that light as well, obviously a really good running back, um, a guy who had a really successful NFL career as well. Tom Zbikowski is number three for me um, because these next three guys are kind of all lumped into the same era. With was at three, Jeff Samarja at two, and Brady Quinn at number one. Uh, That was, at the time, I was like, this is like the heyday of Notre Dame football like in my youth because Notre Dame was so bad for so long. But those teams with Quinn, Samarja, and Zbikowski, I mean, you think back to the USC game that with the Bush push, you think back uh, to Notre Dame, Penn State, and the home opener. I, I was actually there at that game, and Quinn hit Samarja on the back of the end zone. I remember Samarja uh, was, was throwing his hands up to the crowd um, and just, like, putting all the attention on him. Um, that was a really fun era of notre dame football obviously a bridge to them being really good now in the current era with uh brian kelly so at the time i was like man does it get better than this as a notre dame fan because okay
0: that's so sad we went like 10 and 2 or 10 and 3 or 9 and 3 the first year and then 10 and 3 the next year and you're like does it get better (laughs) that's
1: does it get (laughs) better um because i was born i mean i was born 92 so i'm a little older than all of you but like Notre Dame was so good in the eighties with Holtz. And then they just had that long period of time for like 15 years where every now and then they had a really good team, but then you get really disappointed. Like we're losing in bowl games to Oregon State when we have a nine win season. We're losing bowl games to Jamarcus Russell and LSU with the Brady Quinn teams. Like I'm wondering, man, does it get any better as a Notre Dame fan? Meanwhile, my parents are like, yeah, trust me, it it really does. Like, this team wins national championships every now and then. So I'm holding out hope to see that in my lifetime.
0: It's interesting that, like, all three of your top five, or the top three in your top five are all from those teams because, like, like I was saying, they didn't really – even achieve as much as the teams do now, but there is something about like Zibikowski, Samarja, Quinn, like those guys were so cool. And those teams were so fun. Even Darius Walker. Hell. Um, yeah. it was just so much fun to root for those guys. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Rima, Rima McKnight at receiver. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I could talk all day. Maurice about that Stovall, day
0: he was super cool. Mar- oh, if Maurice God. Stovall came on the team today, he would be like the biggest deal ever. And he was just like, yeah. Second receiver back then. All right. Who's up next? You got Ashton.
2: Okay, so I will start off with someone who I adore, but not necessarily because of what he did on the field at Notre Dame. but What he's done after, I thought about a lot of the guys that you have already named in an effort to mix it up. I'm going with Mike Golic Jr., who I know you guys have had on the podcast. Um, he only really started his his senior year, like his fifth as, as a fifth year senior. Um, So was not a huge contributor on the field, but I think his Twitter account is literally like the funniest thing I've ever read. I would love to be him. I would love to meet him. So I think that I would be remiss and not, and not mentioning him um, in my list. Um, So then at four, I had Julian Love. I think that Julian Love for me, I we've talked a lot about in the recent years, how Notre Dame's coaching staff has done a lot with not a little, because obviously it's Notre Dame. So you have decent classes, but kind of making a lot more out of what they have. Ian book is another prime example of that as well. But Julian love came in as a three-star, not very highly, not very highly recruited, um, ended up uh, ultimately being drafted was kind of the heart and soul of the defense in that, that 2018 team. And I, Firmly believe that that Clemson Cotton Bowl might have gone slightly differently had he not left the game in the second quarter. Um, so yeah, big Julian Love fan. I'm also a New York Giants fan, which might also be swaying my my love for <laughs> Julian Love a little bit. So then at number three, I have Tyler Eifert. Um, I think that Tyler Eifert, after Anthony Fasano and Kyle Rudolph, was kind of the point where we started really talking about tight end you and um he also was not very highly recruited he's also a three star um out of indiana and i think he was only like that he was barely a top 10 player in indiana which as we all know indiana is not a great uh state for finding five-star recruits so another very good example of um a player that was well-developed by the Notre Dame coaching staff and obviously plays on Sundays. Now also won the Mackey award, um, which was the first time I think, I think Ken McAfee might've won it too. Don't quote me on that, but I don't know. Anyways,
0: that's kind of wild. We've only had one on that crazy stretch of tight ends. Only I for one. Mackey.
2: Yeah. There've been a couple of other finalists. Like Rudolph was a finalist when I mean, he was a sophomore, but that'll change Yeah,
0: until mayor wins yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes. Yeah. 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 Um, So second, I had Golden Tate, a lot of the same reasons that Luke mentioned that uh, Michigan State band dive is forever cemented in my mind. One of my favorite Notre Dame football memories. Yeah, just um, still second in all time receiving yards, only behind Michael Floyd at Notre Dame. So much fun to watch. A bright spot during uh, those few very, very dark years in the late 2000s before we uh, got back to kind of where we are and where we have been for the last decade or so. And then my favorite all-time Notre Dame player, and it's not close, is Brady Quinn. Uh, kind of similar to what Mike was talking about. Like he's the first real player that I was like attached to and really loved in Notre Dame. He was my first football jersey ever. He has the same birthday as me. So as like a seven-year-old girl, like that was the coolest thing ever to <laughs> find that out. I told everyone I knew that. I still tell people I know that. I adore him. Well, um they yeah, as just, intrigued like-
0: as you or excited about the same birthday. <laughs> As you were?
2: Um, no, they're not. They didn't no, share um, the same actually, <laughs> no, but funny story on that topic. I talked to somebody for school, uh, like interviewed somebody for school, um, unrelated to Saturday Dame football, but I texted my cousin who knew the person that I was talking to. And I was like, oh, guess what I talked to you today for school. And immediately she just goes, Brady Quinn. And I was like, no, totally unrelated to Brady Quinn. It had to do with college swimming, but like, it was funny that 15 years later, like that was her immediate response of like, guess who I talked to? And she jumped pretty quick. So everyone knew that I adored him and I still adore him. But yeah, he is definitely my all-time favorite Notre Dame player. He was so much fun with um with Smarja and Darius Walker, like you guys said.
0: He was super, super fun. I think especially after a time during the Davy era where there's really no player that, or especially at the quarterback position, that anyone could attach themselves to. Brady came at the right time and started uh, when he was super young and then was just around for a long time and was a part of some really big games. So that's a good number one. Yeah. So I'll start with my number five was Jeff Samarja. So that tandem itself was just unbelievable. It's even funnier too, because Samarja somewhat came out of nowhere, right? Luke, where did he go to high school in Illinois? Samarja? I think he's from Indiana. Was oh, he from Indiana?
3: He's from like, uh, yeah, like somewhere in the Fort
0: Wayne area, but he's from Indiana. I was going
2: to say Fort Wayne. I think that's right. Yeah.
0: Oh, so that's even more random than I thought. But yeah, he comes on the scene in 2005 as soon as Weiss gets there, um, scores against Pitt, and then just really takes off the rest of the year. He just seemed unguardable at times, and I think that was so fun. He was obviously really fast. He was just so big, could get up so high in the air. And he was just like really, really fun to root for. And then at four, can't believe no one said it, Ian Book. Um, You know, Luke and I have already said a ton about Ian and how much we loved rooting for him these past few years. So I won't really do that again. But um, moving on, number three, Will Fuller. He's just like recently I was watching Will Fuller highlights. I got into one of those YouTube rabbit holes because I saw he signed with the Dolphins and like, talk about unguardable. He was just unbelievable. A lot of these guys, like, a lot of these favorite players I'm affiliating with, like, a favorite moment. And Fuller just had so many where corners would be, like, 15, 20 yards off, and it just didn't matter. He'd cook them. The one against um, Adderay Jackson was obviously the super famous because they were billed as the two fastest college football players. And then Fuller dusted him on the first play after dapping him up. That was pretty incredible. And then, I think an underrated moment with Fuller came in his last game against Ohio State. And I think, one, a lot of people make too big of a deal about that game and um, how much of a blowout it was because it wasn't really a blowout. Notre Dame was in that game and the entire And they had nobody. <laughs> yeah, literally no one. Fuller himself had a bum ankle, and he took a little hitch route 80 yards to the house on basically one ankle, and he beat Von Bell in the process, who's actually still with the Bengals, I believe, he was a second-round pick out of Ohio State, and he couldn't even track him down. So he's just, like, super cool, super fun to root for. Um, two, Zibakowski for all the reasons Luke mentioned. That team was just really fun. He was just the biggest badass alive. And the fact that he was a pro boxer just made him that much cooler, I think. And uh, number one is Golden Tate for me. We've already talked about a few of those moments before, but there's just so many with Tate. But the reason I really liked him when I was a kid is because I went to one of those player walks. Did any of you guys ever go to that? I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. They'd they'd walk from the Basilica to the stadium. So anyway, I did that. and At the time, I was probably, it was 2008, so I was like 12 years old. So at this point, I'm still young, naive, and I think I'm going to play college football. And I see Golden Tate during this walk, and he's, I mean, he might be listed as 5'10". I don't know. And I remember seeing him like, oh my God, he's so little. I could be Golden Tate. Obviously, it did not work out that way, <laughs> but I just love Golden Tate. I thought he was so fun and so exciting, but uh, that about wraps up my top five. Yeah, I mean,
3: some honorable mention people that I think uh, I wish I I probably would have been able to like to work in are Jimmy Clausen and, and Darius Walker. Um, I, I've talked about Jimmy Clawson at length on this, so I won't do it again, but there were definitely some people on this that I did not want to cut out, and, and honestly, even Manti Teo. Um, yeah, so no one they, mentioned they were-
2: I thought about it, and then I didn't want to go down that rabbit hole but I think about on a regular basis like had all of that not happened like how we would all talk about Manti so much differently than That's we so do true. um yeah. yeah I thought about yeah Kyle Rudolph Anthony Fasano were both came to mind I Eifert's my favorite so I picked him and I try not to go full-time endless but Michael Mayer might be uh jumping Eifert pretty soon here
1: I'm showing my age a little bit but Rocky Boyman too like A long long list of Notre Dame linebackers. He's right near the top. Really good career.
3: Yes. Speaking of spring games, I actually met his mother at a blue-goal game in like 2001. They were in the row in front of us. She gave us a button of Rocky that we still have somewhere in our house. So that's funny you mentioned that.
1: I saw Notre Dame play Michigan State, I can't even tell you, the year in South Bend. And Rocky Boyman was speaking at the pep rally. And he said, we're going to kick their ass tomorrow. And then he stopped and he was like, sorry, mom, like right in the middle of that rally for thousands of people, which is hysterical. All
0: right. Well, that about wraps things up. Um, Ashton, where can we find you at?
2: Um, yeah. So I am on Twitter at Ashton Pollard seven. Um, I believe that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah. And then obviously writing for uh, both Irish Suns, and then I, I dabble in uh, national Suns as well. So wrote an article on tight ends, wrote an article on uh, NFL stadiums that, Notre Dame should. Like Notre Dame way. has not played in that they should play in who they should play. That's on the schedule, and also threw in a little bit of um, if I was making the schedule who I would want to play. So it's it's very much a wish list that's likely to never happen. Any of them, but um, if that interests you, you should check that out.
0: Mike, what about you?
1: At Mike McDaniel SOS, I am not in distress. I just write for Sons of Saturday, so go check that out. <laughs> um, tech site the tech site, the national site, and then for you guys with ND. So you'll find a little bit of everything over on my timeline.
0: Terrific. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate the time and go check out their work if you haven't already. And then we'll talk to you guys soon, especially as we get closer to the season. Yeah, appreciate
2: it. Yeah, thanks, y'all.